1: It's good to see y'all this morning. Um, My wife and I got to head to New Orleans last week, last weekend. Uh, That's why one of the reasons that I was out, Jordan did a fantastic job. Um, She doesn't say this about herself, but she is our preacher in residence um, and is a huge relief to me, does a fantastic job. So I'm thankful for her and for the work that she does. So can we start this morning with just, I don't know, taking a moment, listening to Christine guide our children back? (laughs) Um, Part of the sense that I had as I was leaving Houston and driving to New Orleans last Friday for the first time ever, right? I've been a part of the pastoral staff of this church for, I don't know, four years or something like that. But for the first time, I felt like burdened by my leaving. Like I had no worries about y'all, and y'all were in capable hands, and y'all were going to have a great Sunday. I felt like I was actually the one that was missing out, that I was leaving something special and important, something that mattered to me. and so, multiple conversations that I've that I've had over the last couple of days, and really over the last couple of months, and probably over the last couple of years, have centered on the fact that all of us are just tired. And so, can we just start this morning by just taking a beat? Just taking a deep breath? Just remembering that in this moment, in... Uh, what is probably for most of us an awkward silence. Jesus has offered to meet us here. By his spirit in our gathering together we encounter the risen Christ. So take a deep breath in Take a deep breath out and know that no matter what your week has been like, no matter what your morning has been like, no matter what stress or aggravation or burden or wound or pain that you're bringing into this room here this morning, no matter what it is, Jesus is holding you firmly in the palm of his hand. That's not how I planned on starting this, (laughs) Um, but it felt needed. Needed. Um, I'm, like, contemplating throwing away this entire sermon and doing something different, but yeah. <laughs> 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 for the next <laughs> several weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at uh, what I'm calling the quiet life. This is a, a phrase that's taken out of First Thessalonians as Paul's writing the church, writing, Tell me you grew up in Southeast Texas without telling me you grew up in Southeast Texas. Paul's right in the church, and he's telling them, like, hey, here's what what I want for you. And he gives them all these, like, exhortations at the end. And what was going on at the time is um, they were basically being told, hey, Christ has already returned. Like, the kingdom has come. You've missed it. And, And there's all this confusion. And so Paul's, like, reminding them, hey, no, 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 remember what I taught you when I first came to you. And in all of this confusion, there's a lot of turmoil about what we ought to be going about the business of doing. And there's some speculation about what exactly was happening. Maybe some of them were like, well, Jesus has already left us, so it doesn't matter. And they're just kind of throwing up their hands. Or maybe some are like, well, Jesus is coming back today, so nothing matters. And in all of that, Paul is saying, no, no, here's what I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go be good citizens. I want you to go and live a quiet life. Go get a job be good citizens of Thessalonica, and lead a quiet life. This is Paul's command to the church in one of the earliest letters that we have from him. In the year 2000, I wasn't quite sure how to say this, in 2000, in the year 2000, in 2000, um, a sermon delivered at Passion, like the big conference they do, the Passion Conference, those of you that know, know. Those of you that don't, don't worry about it. It's fine. Your life is complete without it. But in the year 2000, 22-ish years ago, there was a big one-day passion conference, and a man named John Piper, again, you're good without him. It'd be fine. He's got some stuff. It's don't worry about it. It was basically like a woodstock for evangelical Christianity, and he gave a generation-defining sermon. Like one to this day that people in my world that I grew up in and that like are on podcasts that I listen to and right, people who are influential in the life of the church have said this sermon, this moment in time absolutely changed the course of my life. And the sermon, I don't actually know what the title of it was. I think it's called Don't Waste Your Life, but it's re- it's like affectionately referred to as sh- seashells. And in it, John Piper essentially says, look, if you think life is about going to school and getting a job and having a family and then retiring and collecting seashells on the beach, you're missing it. And then he contrasts that with a life of these uh, Christians who were called to the mission field, who literally had just died, having spent 60 or 70 years giving their life to the people of Cameroon. And what he says without saying it is if you don't do that, you're not following Jesus. Ten years later, um, another shot in the arm of this kind of like uh, drastic version of what it means to follow Jesus came in the form of David Platt's book, Radical, And again, in the the face of, like, rightfully so, criticizing a consumer-driven American church, right, so the criticism is right and good, I think the conclusion was off base. In it, uh, Platt basically says, hey, look, if you don't look like this, then you're not actually really following Jesus. And he paints a very similar type of picture that is, well, radical, hence the title of the book. The irony is, is on the platform of those, right, the sermon and the book, these two individuals have built a quite comfortable lives for themselves, right? I'm not criticizing them. They're not like the TV people who are like driving around Bentleys and jet planes and all that. But like David Platt criticizes megachurches and becomes a megachurch off the back of this book, right? I, I don't think that was his goal, right? I think the intentions were right. I'm not trying to like bash the guy. But what begins, what becomes lost in all of this It's something that was actually already like there was a bud, there was a seed germinating in the hearts of young people 20 years ago that said, hey, look, we've looked at the generation before us, and they ain't done squat. And going to like work and getting a job and having money and retiring is a useless way to live. We want to change the world. So millennials sought to shake things up. We were going to find Joseph Coney. We wore toms so that we could support those in need, right? Buy one, give one. We were convinced that we were going to solve the world's water crisis one well at a time. We were going to end war. We were going to change the world. I'm an old millennial. I won't use the other term for it. Refuse to. So last weekend, uh, I also celebrated my 40th birthday. I'm on like the front end of millennials, like one of the first to pass through. And here I am, like now middle-aged, middle-aged, okay. Coming out of a pandemic on the verge of another world war, looking at the world and going, yeah, no, we didn't really change much of anything. Uh, And maybe I'm being overly cynical here. I don't want to squash any ambitions Uh, If someone has an idea for a way to change our city and our country and our world, by all means, please pursue it. But I think so many of us are so stinking worn out because we are chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing something. I don't know what it is. And after the last few years... I think what we need to hear right now is like, wait, what does God want from me? What should I be spending my life doing? Uh, Okay, so I'm not supposed to collect seashells, seashells, again, Southeast Texas. But I'm also not going to like quit my job and go move to Cameroon and become a missionary. So I guess I just throw up my hands and go, oh, well, I'm just committed to being a bad Christian. I'm all off my notes now. But with this series, I, I want to suggest another approach. Right? We spent several weeks talking about like, these really life-giving ideas that Jesus introduces us to. Now I want us to reimagine what it might mean and what it might look like to participate with him in the reordering of the cosmos. And I want to make this very clear up front. We will not be the ones who change the world. Not in any sort of like long-term substantial way. And that doesn't mean I'm saying, hey, throw up your hands and just be like, oh, well, time to get fat and sassy. No, I'm suggesting that there is actually another answer and that is participation in Jesus's transformation of the world, so before we jump into all of those things, next week we're going to talk about vocation. Uh, we're going to talk about justice. Like we're going to talk about some of these like things that I think we will find interesting and helpful and life giving, and like actually give us something to sink our teeth into about what we should be going about doing. But before we can get there, I have to deal with the like big elephant in the room. That's well, not an elephant in the room. It's like this really thing, this thing that we don't want to talk about, but we have to talk about in order to get to the other things. So while the rest of this series is going to center on like how we could possibly change the world through our daily life, our conversation is going to start here in the anchor of our participation in Christ. And that's going to church. <laughs> like, oh gosh, I was so excited for this sermon and now all of a sudden, dang it. We're going to talk about going to church. But actually, I want to discuss what we're doing when we gather on a Sunday morning, week after week. Like, what are we actually doing? Why does it actually matter? And I think that we'll see that our gathering shapes and transforms our quiet lives into radical lives that can actually reshape the cosmos. Not because we are necessarily changing the world but because we're changing people's lives through relationships. We're genuinely becoming who Christ has called us and is making us to be a people of love. So first, let's jump into Hebrews. Um, This is our text this morning. It's from a letter. It's possibly a sermon that became a letter. We don't know who the author was. Um, It's possible that it was a she, which is really interesting, which would also explain why there's no author attested to it, right? There's some conversations to be had there. None of that really actually matters um, to our conversation this morning, but it's a beautiful letter. Uh, It's excellent grammar and syntax and poetical structure and all those sorts of things. And it's basically a letter to Hebrew Christians, hence the name, that's trying to encourage them from walking away from Jesus. We don't know exactly why, but there seems to be something that's causing these Hebrew Christians to go, ah, you know what? This just isn't worth it anymore. And they're going back to Judaism as they knew it. And so the letter is over and over and over again trying to establish, no, 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 no. don't go backwards. Christ has come. Like, he's here, and he is way greater than anything you encountered in Judaism. And so we can contextualize that here in 2022 by saying this, like the author of of Hebrews is very concerned with reminding us that the actual person, the risen Jesus, the one that we know and encounter, not the idea of him, but like the living Jesus is far superior than any religion, any religious practices, any religious institutions, that, that Jesus is greater than religion. it's important to keep that in mind because the same author is going to say so you should go to church (laughs) let's look at what the author actually says verse 19 therefore brothers and sisters uh we can talk about that some other time it's assumed that this is not just written to males right Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, right? You can't get into the holy of holies because that's where God is. And right, you're not allowed to be there because you're sinful, right? All of these sorts of like ancient Judaistic ideas. Jesus has like done something there. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that great priest would be Jesus. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so here the the author is using all of this uh, cultic language to describe the work and person of Jesus, that he is the high priest, he is the curtain that's been torn, that's like removing this barrier between humanity and God. Like using all this metaphorical language, he's not literally a curtain, right, To say something about what Jesus has done. And in verse 22, the author says, so let us draw near. And the assumption is that we understand what we're drawing near to. But I want to spell it out because we're like diving into the middle of a chapter in the middle of a book here. The author is saying what Jesus has done allows us to confidently draw near to God. The same God that in two chapters is going to be described as a consuming fire, who is so terrifying in God's presence, the Israelites stood at the bottom of a mountain and said, no, 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 we we can't bear to even hear your voice, send someone else to listen to you because just the sound of your voice is going to crush us. That this same God who appeared as a fire in Exodus and a fire at Pentecost is the same consuming fire that we now confidently So I want to start by asking the question, why does our gathering matter so much? Like, eh, it's like, I don't know. I don't really get much out of it. It's a phrase that's thrown around, uh, especially for like looking for a church. I didn't get much out of it this Sunday. I want to suggest first that our gathering matters because we need one another. Like God has rigged the game. We are creatures who are made for love, who won't arrive at love by, like, circumventing love. Say it this way. We are people who are made for community. We will not arrive at community by ourselves. The way that we become people of love is through love. The way that we become people uh, that are rooted deeply in community is through community, And so the author of Hebrews says, hey, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Like this is a core and central and practical part of what it means to draw near to God. That we cannot draw near to God alone. Uh, If you have questions about that, wait till next fall. You can do the, uh, what about the Bible class that we just finished? It was fantastic. It was great. We deal with this head on, but just take my word for it. (laughs) We need each other. So primarily in our meeting together, in our coming together to worship, we are being shaped and formed into people of love in a way that just, for whatever reason God has decided, will not and cannot happen if we're out here on an island by ourselves. That we need the community. The Holy Spirit exists in the people of God. You all know that like, famous passage that either tells you to work out or tells you not to drink, right? If you grew up in my evangelical circles, um, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit So honor God with your bodies. Don't join yourself with a prostitute. I guess it could also mean don't go visit prostitutes. I don't know. Right? This passage that if you've heard that, and this means you should work out because you take care of your body because God lives in you. Or this means you shouldn't do naughty things because God lives in you. Uh, Well, what Paul actually says there is y'all, if I can use some of that Southeast Texas again, y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Y'all are in whom the Spirit dwells, not you. We can go another step further. The Holy Spirit gifts the people of God with like spiritual gifts for what purpose? The edification of the community. The Holy Spirit gifts you for the sake of the community not for your own sake. And so Paul goes to great lengths in 1 Corinthians 10, I think it is, where he says, hey, you've got the gift of tongues. You've got the gift of prophecy. You've got these like really fantastic, incredible gifts. Guess who they're for? They're for the community. So the community ought to benefit from them. We, the community, are the temple of the living God. So we are made for communion and are saved into communion and are transformed by communion, not because this is some sort of weird social club, but because the Spirit of God is here among us. So we need each other, but others need us as well. This works both ways. So we need the gathering, but the gathering needs us. I want to make a quick aside. I hope it's a quick aside. Many of us have come into this specific community because we've not been able to find an actual community of love like this outside of this place. In other words, uh, a lot of us are here because we've been wounded by the church. I, I want us to find healing I want us to know that this is actually really and actually a safe place. But part of what that looks like if you've been here for a little while and you begin to heal is you are now a co-creator in that process. That that you are now part of this being a safe community or not a safe community. That that you are not just a consumer of the safe space, you are a participant and a co-creator of this safe space. There's an actual, like, real important burden there. Now, if you're new, right, you found us in the last year, and you've got significant wounds, and you're just like, dude, just be glad I showed up today, because, like, two sermons ago, you told me I didn't have to. I don't know. (laughs) Like, you're contradicting yourself, man. No, like, actually, really, like, this is a safe space when you need to, to just show up, sit in the back, and just be. I don't have the energy, I don't have the strength, I don't have the whatever I need to actually give to the community today. I just need to be near the presence of God in in hopes of finding some peace, in hopes of finding some healing, in hopes of finding some sort of faith because I'm hanging on by a thread here. We wanna be that place. But I can't be that place for us. Lauren can't be that place for us. Mike can't be that place for us. Our job is to shape and shepherd us as a people into that place. But we have to do the hard work of actually, like, including people, seeing people, talking to people, inviting people to lunch, inviting people into our lives, that sort of thing. We have to do the hard work of actually loving Okay, aside over, Uh, second reason our gathering matters is our gathering is formational. I know it doesn't feel like it sometimes, right? Um, I don't know. I think part of how we are dysfunctional as a church is because of some of the evangelical stuff, because of so many of you that are in like the research and medical and scientific community, we come and we expect information to be our saving grace. If I can just get some information, if Brandon can just say something, if I can just have that data piece that I'm missing. And we think that like going to church is listening to the sermon. That it's all about information. If I gave you a test right now and said, hey, I'll give you 100 bucks for every question that you get right, here's my sermon title from six months ago, what was it about, and I asked you a series of questions, right, I bet mean, most of us would not do well on that. Um, I probably wouldn't even do well on that. All right, I taught 17-year-olds for eight years, and one of the things I quickly realized is, oh, yeah, y'all don't remember anything that I say to you. Uh, hold on, wait a second. And it's that old chestnut, right? People remember whatever it is, 5%. Y'all analytical are gonna be like, no, it's actually 3%. I don't know the number. It's a small percent of what we hear. We actually like internalize, know, remember, and take with us. So then how in the world is this formational? It's not formational uh, because I've given you some bit of data that you didn't have. It's not formational because I gave you some sort of like life application that you needed and now everything suddenly makes sense. It's formational because this is the workshop where God engages our souls, where we encounter the spirit of Jesus. It's formational because God is doing something among us. And so week after week after week, this cumulative effect begins to happen. And we look back and we're not the same we were as we were six months ago. And we're not the same as we were two years ago. And we're not the same as we were five years ago. So uh, I want to very briefly talk about what we're actually doing when we gather, just some like nuts and bolts that I don't know, maybe this is a terrible idea. Uh, I feel like is helpful and can actually like begin to shape our imagination for wait, wait, what am I doing when I show up to church? What's happening? And I'm borrowing a lot of this from like... Catholics and Eastern Orthodox, like mystic folks that understand this in some ways that we've come to hear a TED Talk and maybe listen to some like Coldplay, right? I know that's not who we are. No one's inviting me to do a TED Talk anytime soon. Um, Like, no, something different is going on here. So so what exactly is it? First, I want to start with a quote from Justin Martyr, so you all can know that I'm not like just making all of this up. So Justin Martyr is writing this around 150 AD, and here's what he says. And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country will gather together in one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read, right? That's the scriptures. As long as time permits, then when the reader has stopped reading, the president will verbally instruct, El Presidente, (laughs) pleasure to meet you, and exhort to the imitation of these good things. Then we will all rise together and pray. And as we before said, when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought, and the president, in like manner, offers prayers and thanksgiving according to his ability, and the people assent, saying, Amen. And there is distribution to each and a participation of that which thanks had been given. Right? He's describing communion here. That we participate in the, the thing that we have brought back to Jesus. And then to those who are absent, a portion is sent by the deacons. It's it's this simple, and it's this that the church has been doing for two thousand years in all of its shapes and forms. It begins by gathering. We leave our homes, our jobs, our like normal social places, right? Unless you're weird, you don't hang out here on a Wednesday night or Monday night or whatever. And you, we come to this place, and as we do, we bring all of our baggage and trauma and pain and joys and delights and successes and personalities and hang-ups and all this stuff, and we bring them together for worship. And in this coming together, we are forming a picture of the kingdom of God with varying races and cultures and ages and personalities all coming together to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we do this week after week because we need reminding that the kingdom of God is really and actually breaking in. And this is a glimpse of what it's supposed to look like. And so together we gaze upward toward God with hopes that we can encounter God in this place in our worship. And so we gather. The next thing we do is we listen. We listen to the word. Uh, What I mean by that is not necessarily the scriptures. Again, you should take my scripture class on next fall. Right, So the word is two things, and I won't get into a whole thing. We can have coffee and talk about the details of this. But uh, the word is like the active, risen, resurrected Jesus. And then the word is also the mediation of that resurrected Jesus through the scriptures. And so we are hoping to encounter the risen Jesus through the scriptures. So when we read them as the people of God, we are hoping and believing that the Holy Spirit will do something in us. Otherwise, it's just like words on a page. And so we hear the word of God, read aloud, in hopes that they will wash over us, do something in us. We share them together. We expand and expound on these. Right? And the point of the sermon is not that you were to remember any detail, but that week after week, me standing up here and jabbering on would actually begin to slowly transform us. And then hearing, we respond, right? So I'm going to be quiet here in just a minute. Mike's going to come up here, and he's going to lead us in song. And these songs are our worship to God. They are our response to God. They are our prayers to God, uh, to God and for one another. We respond in song. We also respond in giving. This is relatively new. We've kind of introduced it a couple weeks ago. Most Sundays, we're going to leave space for giving. And I'm running out of time, but I want to take a moment to like address this for a second. If you've been wounded by the church in this area, um, if you don't trust us as a church in this area, we are not asking or expecting you to give us and trust us with your money just because the guy with the microphone said so. Okay? Like, please hear that. This can still be a space in our worshiping together, that, that God willing will cultivate some sort of gratitude and some sort of generosity in us. Whether that's generosity towards Redemption Church or just generosity towards our neighbor or generosity towards whatever organization you feel like you do trust with your giving. Those of you that do trust us though, like, I feel like the work that we're doing in this space is unique. Um, And if we want to keep, like, lights on and we want to have pastors paid to, like, pay attention to this sort of stuff, then, like, one of the, like, logistical realities is we need money to do that. Uh, We've got people overseeing that that are, like, making sure that I'm not being crazy. Right, you can come to my house and look at my car, and I mean, I'll show you bank statements. Like I don't know what you need to see. I'm not rolling around in a Bentley. I'm not even rolling around in a Camry. I'm rolling around in a 2006 Mazda. I don't have any like high, like secret like Miata, whatever they're called now. Miata. That's a terrible example. Uh, Maserati in my garage somewhere. Um, like we're just not that type of church as seen on TV. But I get a lot of those types of churches exist. If you know us and trust us and you believe in a church that's different, uh, we just ask you to be generous. If you don't know us and trust us, don't give us any of your money. This is a space for you to cultivate some generosity, to respond to a generous God by prayerfully considering how you can be generous in the world that you inhabit. And for real, uh, if you have questions about that, like, come talk to me. Like, I don't want us to hide from those conversations. I don't want us to be ashamed of those conversations. I don't want you to feel like I'm going to unveil some sort of skeleton in the closet, I promise. Uh, I don't think you will. We can barely get our sound to work every Sunday. Like, okay, we're, (laughs) goodness gracious. Okay, but the, the climax of our response is not in our generosity. The climax of our response is the table. And this has been the, the, the reason that the church has gathered for centuries is to come around the table of Jesus. And this is why all of our like individualness that we're coming from in order to gather in union with one another and with God is so beautiful. Because now in all of our diversity, we come centered on the person of Jesus and we feast upon the meal of Jesus. And it's in this moment that the kingdom of God is most pictured among us. As the people of God at God's table are sustained and nourished by the presence of God. And then we conclude by sending. So at the end, having been given new imaginations, new encouragement, new nourishment, we are sent back out into the world to live kingdom lives, to live lives centered on the resurrected Jesus, to live lives of people of love. The last couple of points, and then I'll wrap this up. Our gathering reminds us of who we are. We might not feel it, But week in and week out, our commitment to show up into this place helps tether us to the fact that we were created to worship God and we were created for one another. And coming back over and over and over again subtly anchors us in a world where we're so tempted to just become consumers. So liturgy, right? uh, worship, and community go hand in hand. And then lastly, our gathering helps us to reimagine our world and our place in it. Trains us to think differently about our jobs, our lives, our neighborhoods, our cities, all that stuff. We'll talk more about this next week. But this is one of the more underrated things that I think we do at our gathering I'll end with, uh, with this quote. Uh, it's from, I can't remember her name, shame on me. Um, she wrote a book called 100,000 Sundays of Worship. And basically, she is exactly what it sounds like. It's like a history textbook where she goes back and looks at, like, what is all the churches in all places at all times? What have they all consistently done? And she looks at, like, symbols and all the stuff. But she says this, like, at the end, in conclusion, about all Sundays of gathering for the Christian people. Worshiping is like eating a meal. It both satisfies our immediate hunger, and it also strengthens the body for what's ahead. The quality and the amount of food eaten will cumulatively affect one's health and overall well-being. Worship will affect the individual, which will affect the community, which by the grace and the spirit of God will transform the cosmos. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, when we gather in a broke down building, (laughs) bringing all of our wounds and hopes and... Some faith? Will you do something? Will you meet us? Will you encourage us? Will you allow us to be encouraged towards love and good deeds? Will you transform us into people of love, not a people of indifference, but a people of participation? Who, by the power of your Spirit, will change the world by loving you and loving our neighbor? Will you restore our souls, give strength to the weary? Bind the heart of the brokenhearted. We free the captive. Will you do what you do among us? We sing and glorify your name, Jesus.
0: It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor, or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com and please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are we hope to hear from you soon